This is a phone. I didn't know if you knew that, but this is a phone. But this also serves a second purpose, I, uh, several purposes. I use it as my alarm, uh, which usually I, get, I wake up before my alarm goes off, and it's dark when I wake up. Um, and as many of you have continued, started to warn me, now don't fall down, Herb, don't slip, don't, you know. Um, when I get up and it's dark, I don't want to turn the light on and disturb Sheila. And so I will grab my phone, unplug it, and, and it just, when I lift it up, Sheila's picture comes up. Now, um, that, that's not the point, okay? <laughs> and, so, and, and so when it c comes on like that, I don't turn it on. It's just, you know, and... and now, you, there's no, you can, it makes no impact whatsoever up here, but when my room is dark at night and I just do that, it gives me enough light to walk out of the room into the hallway, and then I usually have to hit it again, so it's, because I don't have the flashlight on, I just have the screen on. But there's enough light, just a little, tiny little bit of light as I'm walking down the hallway and I get to our steps, which some of you know, the devil pushed me down twice a couple of years ago, so always kind of makes me nervous. I always grab the handrail and it gives me enough light to get all the way downstairs into the living room and then I'll turn on a light in the living room. But here, it doesn't even make a, a, a it just makes you go aw when you see Sheila's picture. But it doesn't provide any light. It provides light when the room is dark, but it doesn't provide light when we're in the middle of light. One of the statements or insights that God gave me years and years ago is the deeper the darkness, the brighter the light can shine. You see, when it's dark and when I'm getting up, that little bit of light is all that's needed to guide my path where I need to go. The deeper the darkness that we live in in an upside down world, the brighter the light can shine, even when the light is dim. It doesn't take a lot of light to shine in darkness and point the path to where people need to go. That's what we want to talk about. Um, in, um, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he gave his manifesto. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, starts with the Beatitudes talking about um, the character of the, of the right side up Christ follower. And then he immediately goes into the identity in verse, in, and so I put it there in your outline, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. First he says, you're the salt of the earth, but then he says, you're the light of the world. If you are my follower, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. The light of Christ within us. It's not our light. It's not us. It's his spirit within us. By the lives that we lead, by the words that we speak, by the attitude that we have, he says we are to be the light that causes people to notice in the midst of darkness. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
There are nearly a hundred uses of the word light in the New Testament and a lot of other references to shining or being the light without actually using that word. And so because our very identity is to be light, then pointing to people to Christ, representing Christ, is our purpose, is our mission. But it requires deliberate effort and choice. And it all echoes back to what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Our identity is to be light, especially in the deepest darkness. As we live in a culture that is upside down, and every culture throughout history since the Garden of Eden has been upside down. And so our responsibility is to be the light in the midst of darkness. So look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. This is following uh, the scripture that we looked at last week where it talked about Jesus emptying himself out. And now he's, he's saying we're supposed to do the same. And here's how. He's getting very practical. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here's some habitual, continual, constant actions that we need to live out in order to live as the light. Number one, we need to embrace the big picture. The big picture. So he starts out in the first couple of verses of this passage saying, here's the big picture, and that is Christ-likeness. The big picture is to become more and more like Christ. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, therefore, my beloved, and, and I love how he starts this because he, this is an endearing term. He's going to challenge them, but he first starts out with, oh, I, I affirm you, you're, you're, you're precious to me. Um, you're my beloved. You, you are um, my, my wonderful friends. You are my uh, family. And he says, I, I, I'm telling this to you because I love you so much and because God loves you so much. So, so my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the first thing that we see here is in embracing this big picture is we need to obey with integrity. Obey with integrity. Integrity is who we are when no one is looking. That's what integrity is. And so he says, 
you need to obey. Not only when I'm present with you, but also when I'm not there with you. And so when no one's watching, obey. Do the right thing. Do what God wants you to do, no matter what. Um, in the, in, as hard as it is. In the, and that's, those are the times when Satan can try to get us the most. If he can divide and conquer, if he can get us alone in our temptation, alone in our um, anxiety or our frustration or our, our worry, and, and we're not surrounded by other people. He says, obey with integrity. Do what you know to do, even when nobody is looking. Work, and, and then the second part is to work at growing up in Christ. Second part of verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This, and this is the verse that can be confusing. Because it feels like he's saying, need to work at being good enough so that you'll continue to be forgiven. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying work out um, growing up in Christ. So our salvation is a free gift. When we come to Christ and ask Him for there's nothing we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. There, we, there's just nothing. There, no matter how good we are, we can't earn our salvation. It's a free gift from God. But then he says, now grow up. Grow up. We're constantly on the... So you might want to write this down. To grow up means to work constantly on the skills of loving and living as Christ did. It's the skill. We don't automatically know how to love. And yet, one, one of the ways you, you learn how to love is by making mistakes. Right? How does a baby learn to walk? These, don't you love these little ones dancing up here while I have decided to follow? <laughs> Just. And so how do, they, how do these little ones learn to walk? By falling down about a thousand times. Right? That's why God created diapers. So that when they fall, there's cushion. And that's why he built them close to the ground. So when they fall, they don't hurt themselves, right? They're just not. But, and so there's not a, one of these young parents that when their child is learning to walk, you know, and they get up on their feet and, and, and they're trying to take the first step. And, and as they're trying to take the first step, they end up falling back on their. And there's not one of these young steps, parents going, well, you, that wasn't good at all. Why did you do that? You shouldn't, you should be falling down. Come on. You're, you're, you're almost 12 months old. Come on. Right? There's not one. Right? Oh, no, no, that's okay. Let's get up and try it again. Oh, oh that's okay. Get up. Let's try it again. Oh, no, that's okay. Let's get up and try it again. When we make mistakes, that's how we learn. So when you make mistakes loving someone, learn from it. Don't just keep doing it. Learn from it. And so he says, work out your own salvation. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Living it out. But, he says, with fear and trembling. And, and that's another place where we get in trouble because we think that means God's going to get us if we make mistakes. That's not it at all. Have you ever been um, in the presence of somebody that you looked up to, that you really, maybe it was somebody that's really successful in your career field, and they're, they're like the hero, or, or someone that you just admire 
so much. And, and then you have the opportunity to talk to them. And you get all nervous and your hands start to sweat and you don't know what to say. And you, you have it all worked out in your, your mind what you're going to say. And then you get up there and you just blubber. Because there's so, you have so much awe and they're your hero that you're fearful in their presence. And you don't want a disappointment. You don't want to say something that would be embarrassing to them. You want to say something that would be affirming. And that's what he's talking about. Understand God, who God is. So much that we, are, we, f- we fear disappointing him. We, we, we love him so much we don't want to make mistakes. We, and so this fear and trembling is because God is on his throne. God is almighty God. There's awe and reverence for who God is. And so we want to do what's right. And then we, and, and not only is he on his throne, but he loves us beyond comprehension. And so we want to love him better. And so it's working out with fear and trembling is because we don't want to disappoint him. We want to please him. We want to love him better. Work at growing up in Christ, developing those skills, putting it into daily practice. And then he says, um, be a branch, letting God work in and through you. This goes back to, we talked uh, a while back about um, how we are simply the branches and Christ is the vine. And our whole um, responsibility is to stay attached. Right? Just so that his life flows through us. Because there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. Only as his presence flows through us. And so verse 13 is incredible affirmation, but it's a reality check. He says, for it is God who works in you. In other words, no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. Your job is not to try harder, which is sometimes how people take verse 12. Work, work out your own salvation. Try harder in your own ability so that you can earn God's favor and, and be good enough. And that's, no, he's saying, I, I think 13 is kind of the, the counterpoint to verse 12. No, it's not about working harder at, at earning. It's working harder at surrendering. Because the point is not to try harder on our own, but rather to try harder to surrender. Because it's, he, it's his presence that does all the work in us and through us. It's a reality check because we need to look in the mirror and say, no matter what I do, it's not going to be good enough. No matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be like Christ if I'm trying in my own ability. But if I lean in, I, and that's why I think that surrender, listen, and obey acronym is so important because that, it's, that's what it's about. We surrender, listen, and obey, his life flows through us, and he accomplishes in us and through us what he wants to accomplish. The more we become like Christ, I put this statement there for you, and this moves us to number two. The more we become like Christ, not in our own ability, but by just being attached to the vine, letting his life flow through us, the more people will see Christ. The more we try to be good Christians on our own, the less people will see Christ in us. And then the point is, see, the point is not the light. He says, you're the light. The point is not the light, but that the light, what the light shines on. And it's not us. It's about him. The point is not us. The point is him seeing Christ in us. The point, you know, what we want is for people to look at us and go, wow, 
That was incredible. That, that can't be you. Right? <laughs> but, well, we want it to be us because we like, you know, the pat on the back. Wow, that can't be you. I think, I think I've, I, I've told you the story. One of my favorite moments early in, in the church is when we went back to my home church and there was an older gentleman there um, who I didn't really know. I, well, I didn't know. I didn't know who, who he was. But I, I went back and talked about how God was working as we were planning the church, people getting baptized. And, and after sharing, he, he walked up to me and he goes, Herb, it's really good to hear. Quite frankly, we didn't expect much out of you. And then he just kept walking. <laughs> and at first I was upset. You know, I was, how could you say that? And then I started thinking about, if I had been an adult watching little Herbie grow up, I went, yeah, I wouldn't have either. <laughs> but it's not about us. It's about who the light shines on, right? We want people to say, that can't be you. Tell me what it is. Because it's about Jesus. So which brings us to number two. We need to employ the everyday practices of Christ-likeness. It's one thing to understand it in concept. We need to work out our salvation. We need to get the skills. We need to let God flow through us and work through us. But it's another thing to get, go out on Monday morning and actually live it. So what does he say? He says... He gives us some specific instructions. The first one is to rejoice and cooperate. In other words, no complaining or arguing. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is complaining. And disputing is arguing about differences of opinion. You know, just getting at each other. Grumbling and disputing occurs when we believe that we deserve more or better or we're more important. When we're, we haven't humbled ourselves. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite moments from our annual meeting was, because I, I was talking about this, I was challenging all of you. No more complaining. We shouldn't be complaining. And if we're complaining, um, we should challenge each other, hold each other accountable, and, and I'm up here just, just going at it, and, and as I take a breath, Sue Gorley's sitting over here, and she goes, well, does that apply to Buckeye? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yep. <laughs> and, and you know what? She's right. She was right. It was, I'd love that moment, because she was right, and it was funny, and even though he's still a delinquent, <laughs> Sheila loves the animal but if I'm complaining about it then I'm disobeying scripture if I, because complaining is whining about something that I shouldn't be whining I think um, this is an, I, I know that this is an important verse because there's something in our nature our sinful selfish nature that has a default towards complaining and arguing. And, and remember, arguing is about fussing about differences of opinion. It's not about debating truth. It's about fussing about differences of opinion. Um, it's, we know that it's true. If you've ever 
ridden any length of time with two children, small children, in the back of a car. The default is arguing and complaining, right? She's on my side. She's looking at me. Well, come on, really? And we go, oh, yeah, that's little kids. That's it. Or elementary kids on a playground. It's always, you know, fussing about who's going to be more important and fighting over who's can play on what, you know, equipment and all of that. But it's also when you leave a group of adults in a room without a leader. Go into any McDonald's. That McDonald's seems to be a magnet for grumpy old men. Yes. Am I right? I mean, you walk, you walk into McDonald's in, in the morning and there's usually a, a group of old men and you know what they're doing? Almost always. It doesn't matter. The weather, the traffic, you know, you know all kinds of stuff. It's our default. Unless we deliberately, intentionally say, I'm going to do it differently. And so we need to check ourselves. He says, no complaining, grumbling, and no disputing. Stop arguing needlessly over personal opinions. Why? Here's the, and so at the annual meeting, I think I talked about this whole concept without, I, without referring to the purpose. About, I don't remember for real. Verse 15, the purpose is to dispel the darkness by being the light. It's not about the complaining. It's but that complaining doesn't shine the light. It, it creates more darkness. It's not, that, it's not about the um, disputing or the arguing. It's, it's, it's that disputing and arguing needlessly over personal opinions increases the darkness instead of dispelling it and being the light. And so in verse 15, I, he identifies that, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says, it's, so audience participation. Um, what is it what, what is the appeal for cursing the darkness? And when I say cursing the darkness, I mean um, people who either claim to be Christians or are Christians and whining and complaining about how bad things are in the world. What, what is the appeal of that? What, what motivates that? Audience participation. I'll just throw it open. What's that? It's uncomfortable. It doesn't suit us. Yeah. So it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like it. Fear, that's a big one. That's a big one. When we, anytime we fear something, do we have a, a visceral reaction? What else? Okay, when we're not, that's, that's the source of it. Yeah. Is there any, any other appeal? The sin nature. But doesn't it make us feel better? Like we're, we're better or we're, Above it or, or, or something if we're saying, oh, it's really, really bad. That's really, really bad out there, you know. And, and we're, what we're not saying is, but I'm not that. And, and, and it's an attitude of um, criticism rather than love for the world. 
I often think of Jesus as he's, he's headed to the cross and he's standing on the hill over Jerusalem. And he looks over Jerusalem. The people who were about, in Jerusalem, he's, he's thinking about the people who are about to kill him, who are about to betray him, who are about to beat him and arrest him, reject him. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my arms like a chick gathers her, or as a, chick, as a hen gathers her chicks under her, or under her wings, but you would not allow me. You see, when he looks at the darkness, his heart breaks. But in our upside downness, without deliberately striving to be the light of Christ, our tendency is to curse the darkness instead of love those who are in darkness. And so he says, here's the purpose. He says we're supposed to be blameless in behavior and pure in character. Blameless meaning that as they look, and I'm not perfect. He's not talking about being perfect, but the, 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 um, the word means that as outsiders look at you, there's, they can't see faults in you that they can identify and, and that would be real. That would be because they see you as living a good life, living like Christ. And then innocent is, is that there's not a mixture of Christ and sin together. It's not all blended together. He says, if we live that way without fault, with a good reputation and without compromising, he says, then people will see our good lives and be drawn to him. But notice, he also says, in the middle of a crooked and twisted culture. Every, it seems like every generation thinks their generation is worse than every other generation ever was. Because we're living in it, right? You do a little bit of, of uh, research into the generation in which Paul is speaking. It's awful. It's worse in so many ways than our culture. And so it's, he says every generation is going to be crooked and twisted because they're upside down. Crooked meaning unscrupulous, dishonest. Yeah, that's the natural sinful nature. Twisted, pursuing perversity as if it was right. You, you, you hear that? That's, we're living in that kind of culture, right? Where right is called wrong, and good is called bad, and pure is called, I don't know, but it's not right. Crooked and twisted generation. So that we shine as lights. So here's the purpose. We are to live such good lives that people see us as different. And the deeper the darkness that we're in is the greater the opportunity to be the light of Christ. So when Paul gets tossed into prison, which is, he's writing from prison in Rome at this point. He's tossed into prison. His attitude is, back in chapter 1, it's a great opportunity. Because now I can shine this light from the prison cell and the imperial guard are seeing Christ and Caesar's household is seeing Christ and the, uh, the other believers are being encouraged because I'm in this mess. And so when we get into situations where, God, where we're in the darkness, it's to look for the opportunity to be the light. 
How? Not by being perfect, not even by saying things that are perfect, but by living such good lives that were different. And it points people to Christ. I wonder if, um, as I was sitting, thinking and praying and journaling a little bit, um, it made me wonder how often Paul's mind went back to the martyrs that he witnessed before he came to Christ. That when he was darkness and he was causing arrest and deaths, those people were living such good lives that, they, that he couldn't deny the light. He didn't understand it at that point. He didn't recognize Jesus at that point. But it bugged him to death. And so he watched Stephen die, and he saw the light. And then the people that he arrested, and he saw the light, and then he saw the light, and he saw the light, and then Jesus was able to get a hold of him. I wonder if there are people in our lives right now that God has placed us there so that they could see the light. And we may never see the, the results of that. They may never come to us. You know, we, we want the Hollywood ending right away, you know, so that people go, oh, I'm so glad that you served Jesus Christ, and now... I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because of, usually we're just planting seeds. And, it's, it's, and it's, it's easy to get frustrated and to give up because it's just day after day after day after day. And, and I hate all of the sin that's going on. Right? It's awful. It's terrible. The statistics of our culture in so many ways. I mean, human trafficking is one that just, just breaks my heart. And, and there are more people enslaved today than there ever has in the history of mankind. It breaks my heart, but it's darkness. And we're, but we're not to curse the darkness. We're to be the light so that possibly somebody can see. By our actions, by our words, by everything in us. So he says, shine as lights. How many people in my sphere of influence are struggling in darkness, and Christ wants me to be their hope? That's an application question for you. If I shift my way of thinking to right side up, and I, instead of cursing the darkness, instead of complaining about the darkness, instead of arguing about with people in the darkness, if I back up and say, Lord, how do you want me to be the light? How do you want me to love? How do you want me to speak? How do you want me to affirm? How do you want me to live in such a way that they see something different and are drawn and our light doesn't have to be that big. All you need is just a little bit of ambient light when it's dark to walk through the hallway and not fall down the stairs. Finally, he says, hold. Is that finally? Nope, we got two more. Hold and, and live God's truth. How do you be the light? He says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, holding on to the truth, holding on to the light, and not compromising it. Holding on to the light in love. So speaking the truth in love, not in cursing the darkness. Speaking the truth in love, we live it out. And we offer it to others. So holding fast to the word of truth. We don't compromise. We don't say... You know, we don't let go of what God is and who he is. Um, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He says, I, I want you to live 
like Christ as you saw me live in Christ, so that together we'll be able to celebrate. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, another passage of Scripture that helps us kind of see this whole idea. And it will provide some encouragement to us. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. Besides this, you know that you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. He's talking to people who are um, are are distant from him, and he, and he's saying, you, "You need to live this way. You need you've you've kind of been asleep, and now it's time to wake up. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed." A reality check. No matter whether Jesus comes or whether we die, every day we're one day closer to the time when we'll see him. Now, I love this next phrase. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The night is far gone. Write this down. The rule and the reign of Satan is over. And I think he's writing to people who are are hurting and frustrated some of them were being persecuted and and they begin to believe that satan has still got power that he still got control and he's saying no when jesus died and rose again the day of satan ended he has no power except what people allow him to have he doesn't have the ability to just have free reign anymore the only power he has is what we give to him. I was talking to um, uh, a friend a week and a half ago, and he was really struggling with some things. And his job is, he, he, his company it seems like is going upside down, and, and he's just really struggling in a lot of different ways. And he says, I, I just feel like um, Satan is winning. And I said to him, you know, Satan only wins if we give up. He said, but I'm making a lot of mistakes, and I just, I go, I understand that. But that's why the Bible talks about persevering all the way through, because the only way Satan wins is if we give up. The only way that he can have any victory is if we give up. Because if we just keep persevering on, if we keep following Jesus, then he can't win. That's the only power he has. And so the day of darkness is gone. When we look around and we see darkness everywhere, it's not because God is no longer in control. It's not because Satan is, has, has any power. He has power to do things in people's lives where they allow him to do it. But that's it. As long as we're following Christ, Satan can't do anything in our lives that he doesn't allow. Amen. We're protected. The day is not. So take hope, he says. The night is gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Get rid of anything that has to do with darkness, anything that has to do with compromise. Live in the truth and put on the armor of Christ. 
Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it one second thought. Don't give it one toehold. Turn to Christ for the flesh to gratify its desires. Anytime we turn to anything but Jesus without his permission, we are looking for something to make ourselves feel better away from Christ. Don't gratify. So the night is far gone. The rule of Satan is over. And then finally, rejoice in sacrificing for Christ. This is crazy, right set up living. This is, this is so different from the world. You want to make people take note, just, do, just follow this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice in sacrificing for Christ. Rejoice with sacrificing for Christ. So when Paul says, rejoice with me because I'm in this fight and because I know that only that which comes through the filter of God can get to me, then whatever I'm facing then is a part of his kingdom and my responsibility is to be the light. And if I can be the light brighter when I'm in prison and when I'm being persecuted, then rejoice with me because God is being glorified. And by the way, that Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is a good deal. So, rejoice. So when was the last time something was going, you were in the middle of a spiritual battle and you're going, oh, thank you, Jesus. When was the last time you looked at somebody else in your life who was going through a spiritual battle and you're going, well, rejoice, that's great. But we should. We should. Because every problem, difficulty, struggle is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Another favorite story in the Bible is when Jesus is with his disciples and, and one, of the, one of the kids, I think it was uh, Tyler, talked about, referred to this. They, Jesus is preaching. There's thousands of people and they've been out there for two days. They don't have anything to eat. And um, the disciples come to Jesus and say, you need to send these people away so they can get something to eat because they're going to starve on the way and not much food close by. And he looks at them and he says, you feed them. But Jesus, there are thousands of people here and all we have is, you want us to go into town and buy one bite for everybody? No, you feed them. But Jesus, we don't know how to do it. And he's just, okay, just shut up. Have them all sit down in 50s and 100s. And then he feeds thousands. A little bit later, they come back into the same situation where there's thousands of people and they need food. And the disciples are going, we don't have any food. And Jesus goes, we'll feed them. It's like, don't you guys remember what happened last time? It was a problem. It was a difficulty. When you had the opportunity to be the light, but you didn't ask me the right question. The right question was, how do we do what you want us to do? That's the right question. And then the next time they blew it again. And Jesus reinforced it again. He had to keep reinforcing it over and over again because he wants them to get to the place when 
uh, difficulties come, they're saying, this is going to be good. And what an opportunity for us to be the light. That's why we don't argue. That's why we don't fuss with each other. Because it takes out the light. Being poured out for God is a privilege that we need to embrace. Suffering, difficulty, struggle, all those things are an opportunity for others to see Christ in us. Would you bow your heads? Lord, reveal to us all the things that are dimming our light individually as a church body. Lord, do it hard and do it strong and don't let us wriggle out from under your conviction. And then transform us by your power so that we live as your light. Give us the encouragement that we need, the focus that we need, the marching orders moment by moment as we strive to walk in step with you. That this very week, Lord, we will be brighter, we will shine brighter in the midst of dark situations. Help us to see those situations as your opportunities rather than problems. At work, at school, in our neighborhoods, as we move about in this world shine through us and let us together form a beacon as this body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me challenge